we do need to foster this this idea of that we can manufacture in the UK, but we can do it in dignified, fair conditions as well. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Make It British podcast. Today, I am chatting to Sophie Slater, who is co-founder of a brand called Birdsong. To call Birdsong a sustainable or ethical clothing brand would kind of be doing it a disservice because the brand is so much more than that. They make all of their clothing with women's cooperatives and charities in around and around London, and they are completely transparent about everything that they do. In fact, they've got some fantastic information on their website that shows the women who are making their clothing. They have an impact report, which details um, what impact their business is having on the women that they're working with and they pay a proper decent wage for their clothing and yet it's still pretty affordable. Now as a special treat for people that are listening to this particular podcast I have got one of the birdsong dresses to give away to one lucky winner. So if you want to be in a chance to win one of your own birdsong frocks um I will put a picture of it as well in the show notes for this podcast. In fact, in the show notes of the podcast, I will link to a page on the Make It British website where you can enter and you can choose whatever size you need this dress to be in. And we'll keep the competition open till the end of October 2019. So if you like what you hear about the Birdsong brand, and I'm sure you will, then enter to win one of these dresses. They're also running a crowdfunder campaign at the moment and you'll hear all about that. Sophie's going to tell you about the success they've had through crowdfunding for their business and how it's helped them grow the business over the last few years. So let's go over to the interview with Sophie. So Sophie, thank you very much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Obviously, been a big fan of um, what you guys do for a while, so it's really nice to to finally kind of meet. And then, um, yeah, thanks so much. Well, I've been also stalking you, as you know, and what Birdsong <laughs> have been doing for months, and I've been dying to get you on the podcast. So it's actually your recent crowdfunding campaign which we'll come on to that kind of mm. pushed me to to invite you on. But I am again a big fan of what you do. Do you want to? Tell everyone what your business is and what the products are that you make. Yeah, sure. So we're a fashion brand, um, but we're also a social enterprise. So uh, our kind of motto is that we make clothing for people who want to dress in protest. And we make original wardrobe staples that are sustainable, ethical and made by talented women paid a fair wage. So we kind of um, differ from quite a lot of even sustainable and ethical brands, really, in the fact that we work with really small 
local women's organisations, um, mostly in Tower Hamlets, but also with some elderly day centres in Enfield and Kingston to manufacture all our goods. And we only work with the most talented um, women at each of these kind of small community or charity workshops. Um, many of them have been training for like five, 10, 15 years to sew mm. or knit or screen print or embroider. And um, yeah, 50% of our profits go back to those organizations as well. So, um, wow, yeah, we that's just try a and big amount. <laughs> yeah, 50%. Yeah, well, Good on you. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, I guess I, I had a background working in women's charities and we saw how many amazing, talented, older, and migrant women in the UK have fantastic making skills. And at the same time, the UK fashion industry kind of laments the lack of skills that, um, you know, yeah. homegrown fashion skills that people in this country still have, which isn't really the case because, you know, women of a, like different generations or from migrant backgrounds, as I said, have these fantastic skills, but don't have the piece of paper from St. Martin's to kind of get into the fashion industry and are facing mm. significant barriers to work anyway. So um, our kind of goal is to provide really dignified, enjoyable, you know, nice work that's not like being in a factory they can chat with the mates, have a cup of tea, and um, but make beautiful products and introduce people to sustainable, ethical fashion at the same time. So, were you in working in fashion before you set up Birdsong? Um, so, I set up the company when I was twenty-three, and to be honest, it was my first graduate job. So, <laughs> I would say that I, I was working in homelessness um, before that. And um, I've been working in women's organisations, basically, and in retail. So it was kind of my combined love of women's organisations and charity and clothes, because I always love clothes. Um, but I had been working in vintage stores and for, for ethical clothing brands before that. So, mm. um, yeah, it was kind of a, a combination of those two things. Apart from a really, really brief flirtation in the fashion industry, as a terrible, uh, smelly, clumsy model when I was 15. <laughs> we didn't get any work. But that kind of introduced me to the, the fashion industry. And yeah. then I, um, and the kind of weirdness of it and the um, yeah. healthiness of it, which has been a great insight, actually, because we our number one thing is when we do photo shoots to make everyone feel really comfortable and to have loads of snacks, because that's what was uh, definitely missing Not- from my experiences. So. so is that also how you came about doing inclusive sizing? So you don't just stick mm. to the standard 8 to 14, do you? No, not at all. Well, we, we, when we set out, we kind of um, always kind of posited ourselves as a feminist brand we saw as, as kind of taking a stance against um objectification we weren't photoshopping anyone which is quite common now but five years ago it was a bit bit rare really for any commerce brand and um we've never used agency models we kind of mostly use activists or friends or agency models who've been told the bum's too big yeah. <laughs> which is depressingly common um so yeah we always kind of did made to order in any size for our rangers mm. but then we had to kind of scale back a bit and, and focus on getting the fit really right and we invested more in sustainable fabrics so we had to then go back to doing ranges in about a size 16 or 18 or a bit larger for our t-shirts but we knew our customers were always waiting for us to extend our stage and range back to you know the 20s so um yeah. Yeah, we were really, really, it was something we've been wanting to do for, for a really long time and we just thought it was it was the right time. We'd done loads of fit tests and, and got a lot of our plus-size customers in and spoke to them about what they wanted and what they thought was missing in the market. So 
um, it just took a while as any small company knows it can yeah. take months or even years to get these projects on the go sometimes and how do you because I, I I was on um, Channel 4 Super Shoppers a while ago Amazing. on a programme about sizing and how retail uh-huh. um, charges for different size of clothing when it comes mm-hmm. to children's wear but they wouldn't dare yeah. do it in adult wear instead they yeah. set up a separate plus size range to be able to charge more money for oh, it oh is that how they do Which, it oh. yes that's Ooh. why a lot of them have separate plus size ranges yeah but, you know, there obviously is more fabric used in a larger mm, mm-hmm. size than a smaller one. How have you made that work by adding on those extra sizes? Yeah, I mean, we just, everything that we're, so the crowdfunding, the other idea behind it as well is that everything's pre-ordered. So right. nothing no goes wastage. to waste. Exactly, Brilliant. exactly. Which is, you know, a huge part of, you know, our sustainability mission. Um, it puts less risk on us because obviously if we're paying we pay above living, London living wage. We pay about £15 an hour in labour costs um, because living wage right. will go to the woman who's making the product and then an additional £4 something will go to the charity that's supporting it. Mm-hmm. So obviously our labour costs are really high, um, but being direct customer means we can we can have lower margins. So it kind of works out as still kind of high street prices, which is, you know, yeah. pretty wild when you think about it. Um, yeah, brilliant. That's a great model to yeah. have. I mean, so many brands that I know that make in the UK do mm. make it work with the higher mm. labour prices because yeah. they don't sit yeah, on your stock. Yeah. I mean, exactly. there's a great business in Derbyshire that's been going for about 60 years. I don't know, it's mm. called David Nieper. They make clothes mm. like an older customer catalogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Again, I mean, a huge business, but he doesn't yeah. sit on any stock because his yeah. customers are willing that's to wait, really which I presume, yeah, so I presume your customers are the same. They'll wait for a dress yeah. to be made, especially yeah. for them. Precisely. And I think because we're in the amazing position of knowing all our makers by name and and they're all in East London, pretty much, you know, we can Instagram story them making stuff and they sign the tag and they've got a picture and their signature on each clothing tag to say who's made it. And I feel like our customers, because we do a lot of video content as well, have like a really good connection. Um, And it's really nice. And I think people are more patient and willing to wait because it kind of ties into the whole slow fashion thing. I mean, sometimes you don't have to wait long at all because sometimes we'll have a few in stock or we can even get stuff made within like a couple of days. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's it's really nice. I remember like when we first started out, we were doing made-to-order hand-knitted knitwear. And um, it was a nightmare because we had said about three weeks, I think. And we got loads of orders in over Christmas because we had a feature in The Guardian. And then we, we kind of contacted our knitters and they were all on the bus to Torquay. Oh. They, they were on holiday. <laughs> were they we not were knitting like, on the bus? <laughs> well, yeah, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? But they'd just completely forgotten, basically, to tell us. And then we had to send out an email to all our customers like, we're really sorry, they're all on a coach to Torquay. But people <laughs> love that. They really loved it because it just brings them to life a little yeah, bit exactly. more. Yeah, exactly. So who were the knitters? So who are the knitters yeah. then? Are they um, like a women's day centre or something like that? Yeah, so it's a mixed day centre in Kingston and um, there's been a women's knitting circle um, there for about 15 years. And when we actually started the company, my business partner, Sarah, who's who's just had a little baby, so she's um, on maternity leave at the minute, but we started the company together and she was actually working there um kind of programming uh like lifestyle classes and all sorts and noticed that the knitters were you know churning out scarves Mm. um at a quite frightening rate (laughs) (laughs) 
they were looking for different charity projects to, to donate the knitwear to and help the heroes were like we have enough scarves you've inundated us with scarves <laughs> and there was this typical thing that I remember when I was a kid my gran was an amazing knitter and she yeah so was mine so, yeah she well, my nan did so socks hand knitted oh, socks loads oh, of brilliant. them <laughs> oh, see, I, might have, I feel really I'm wrapped with guilt now because I was like oh I don't want them I've got enough they're itchy Ooh. so she used to just end up giving them to charity shops and this is what was happening with this group as well they were yeah. knitting just to donate basically because obviously knitting is really meditative it helps with arthritis it like relaxed them yes. it has like really amazing health benefits um, so we teamed up me and Sarah and we're like how about we had this idea of you know, starting like a feminist blog with with a marketplace for different women's charity goods attached. And that's kind of how mm. we started out five years ago. And the first point of call was with these um, older ladies that Sarah was working with. So we put the scarves on there. And, you know, some of them were like a metre long, some were like five metres long. <laughs> the yes, the quality was, control was a bit varied. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then um, when our amazing design co-founder came on board, she got to work kind of sourcing really sustainable wool and quality checking and and all that stuff. So um, it's come a long way, but, yeah, they're brilliant. Our golden oldies, as we call them. Um, yeah, they're great. It's funny you should say that actually because there's a charity shop near me that mm. obviously has the same connection with a similar sort of knitting group, except they knit yeah. dog coats. So there's loads oh, of dog cute. coats. Yeah, I bought my oh, dog a knitted so nice. ladybird coat. He refuses to wear oh. it, obviously. Oh, that's <laughs> So it has to go back to the charity shop. Oh, no. Oh, well, someone <laughs> Maybe, else will love it. Yeah. So how yeah. did you find the ladies that sew for you? How did you find yeah. them? And what are you uh-huh. going to do? Because your brand is going growing quite rapidly. What are you going to mm. do when they're at full capacity? Yeah, that's a really good good question, actually, because we have um, expanded over the years when we've we've had more capacity. And I think, you know, we had to kind of it was it was a bit heartbreaking. Actually, we, we got loads. We whenever we put a call out, we get loads of women's organisations approaching us because um, there are so many amazing Hi. women's organizations around the country that you know have like a, a sewing workshop or work with um migrant women who have these skills but don't necessarily know how to approach making it into like a, a kind of revenue stream or like yep. you know because it's it's just such a different um such a different set of skills to you know working in marketing in the fashion industry so but yeah, we, we did quite a lot of desk research and just I'd worked in women's organisations um, for a while. So I kind of had a bit of a database of people. Um, mm. But we, our first group of seamstresses um, were based on Brick Lane and they'd been there for 30 years. And then we started selling with them online, which had never done before and worked really well for them. And we kind of built the business around their needs. But unfortunately, they're a really classic example of the charities we work with. Um, their landlord died and overnight the kids tripled the rent to their building and their workshop gave them 10 days to move out their crash um so they used to have capacity to support 60 women sewing and a free crash it lessons english lessons and then eventually because of all the funding cuts and the rent hikes and everything and the trustees kind of dying even though we'd done loads of fundraisers and we were selling online um unfortunately they had to shut down after 30 years so this is exactly the kind of um, threat that our women's organisations are under day to day, which is why we're so keen to make more revenue for them. Um, mm. But after sort of when we, because by the end, um, that workshop could only really support 
three women um, full time because it was such a smaller space that they had to be crammed into because the rent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, by the time they'd had to downscale, which was really heartbreaking, um, we we had to find another sewing group. So we started working with uh, Stitches in Time, which is a community arts charity in Limehouse, mm. and we work with the women who are the most kind of like skilled on their program. There's probably about like half a dozen women that are working with us now, but we know that there's like a couple more in line if we need if we need to scale up. And they're brilliant. They're really fantastic. And I think their rent is pretty, pretty safe. So, I mean, the, the dream ideally later is to have a kind of vertically integrated. Um, That's exactly what space. I was going to ask. Yeah. That seems yeah. like the obvious step for you to have it on yeah. site. Yeah, we'd love to. I mean, London rents are um, yeah pretty wild, obviously. But I think it's really interesting I think there's it's the kind of thing that could maybe work across a few different sites I think um I grew up in the northeast and I was going back I was gonna say where are you from originally yeah my accent's all over the place all the time (laughs) (laughs) I was born in Yorkshire and then moved to the northeast north Tyneside um Mm. when I was a kid so and I've lived in Manchester and Bristol so depending on who I'm talking to (laughs) (laughs) but the accent comes out so there's the potential (laughs) to to open up several birdsong um, yeah, communities so. all over the country I mean that's my dream that's our absolute dream and to have them set up as workers cooperatives perhaps with other ethical brands being able to manufacture there too so there's not a supply and yeah. demand problem for women who need the work um, but yeah it's it's a long way in the future but I think I think it ties in really nicely I guess to the to the make it British, British kind of like mission in fact that you know we've got all these scary political forces and we're not sure about you know what's going to happen and I think like obviously like 20 years ago 90% of of our clothing was made in the UK and um, yeah, exactly. there's still a huge amount still is you know like tens of thousands of garment workers in Leicester are still manufacturing fast fashion brands but they're being paid £3.50 an hour so we do need to foster this this idea of that we can manufacture in the UK but we can do it in dignified fair conditions as well and yeah, support women but- who are out of work and by people buying from brands like you who are showing behind the scenes and telling the names of the people that are making your products mm. and people can be sure that the garments that they're buying are made ethically and sustainably and properly. Yeah. Um, you know, you say that about Leicester. It's, I've interviewed someone on this um, podcast before, a manufacturer from Leicester, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a funny old, um, it's a funny old business there at the moment. There's some people mm. doing completely the right thing, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. you get a few bad eggs, and it makes it really difficult for the good people. And it mm. shouldn't be like that at all. And it, unfortunately, it is a lot of the fast fashion that is driving that. So people need to think about what brands they're buying and to buy slower fashion brands rather than cheap throwaway disposable products, disposable clothes. Yeah. Exactly. It's really hard, though, especially with a lot of greenwashing going on. I think, you know, I search everywhere on a website if I'm on it for the first time to try and see where, you know, discern where it's made. And a lot of the time, if you're shopping online, there's like zero information about it. So it's worth kind of DMing them or emailing them. I mean, if they don't get back to me, then that kind of says it all, to be honest. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I did a podcast Mm. the other day about um, Brit washing, which is the same as green washing, Mm, but trying to make make people think that something is made in the UK by 
various different yeah. tricks and means yeah because it's sometimes i've seen loads of stuff that says like designed proudly designed in the uk yeah, or like they, they, what they mean is it's finished in the uk mm-hmm. or like the top stitching's been done in the uk but it's not actually you know actually yep. made in britain so. i had someone contact me only yesterday saying can you recommend a ma- manufacturer in the uk who can sew some lab- labels on for me uh-huh. my product's 90 percent made overseas I want someone to stitch the labels on and they couldn't understand why I didn't want to associate myself with that at no. all and I wasn't going to recommend anyone because yeah. I said you do know this means you can't label it as made in the UK just yeah, because you've got a label point? stitched on oh that's so exactly. annoying isn't it I've heard the same thing with like made in Italy handbags that will yeah. just like do the all line the in there or something mm. yeah oh it's so annoying it does make it really hard for consumers to know who to trust as well because like yeah I think it's just you know I think that's why websites like you know make a british are really important because you need to do mm. someone, someone to do the background work for you basically yeah although you mm. always think you could do more you know it'd be good to be able to almost grade everyone according to how yeah. british they are how yeah. sustainable they are so people really knew like like you do with food you have to have all the ingredients listed. absolutely it should be we the were, same for clothing we were just literally talking about this last night because i did a panel with um a few like fashion editor at Vogue and like it's really amazing because we were kind of like the odd one out kind of geeky mm. ethical kids a few years ago now the fashion <laughs> industry is kind of welcoming us with open yeah. arms which is which is Do you great trust them? <laughs> <laughs> well they're all lovely you know individually but you've kind of got to um win them over with kindness haven't you and then yeah. slowly uh guilt them into caring more yeah. about what they exactly yeah. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> so um you've got a on your website your impact report is, mm. is I think it's brilliant. Do you want to tell everyone what that is? And what I'll also do is I'll, if you don't mind, I'll put a link to that in the show notes for the oh, podcast. Yeah, please do. So that people yeah. can see what we're talking about. But do you want to describe what your impact report is and what it includes? Of course, yeah. I guess like um having worked in charities and kind of because we're kind of a weird, you know, mix in that we kind of breached both the fashion world and the charity world. Um, it's really good standard practice in a social enterprise to have an impact report to show, uh, you know, the work that you're doing with people. And it's so funny because most fashion brands almost have the opposite of an impact report where they're saying yeah. they'll try not to do evil things in a very vague <laughs> kind of way. Yeah. Um, whereas our impact report is how do the people who make our clothes feel about that and what impact has it had on their life in positive terms so um our impact report kind of has a few stats it's, it's we're coming up to the, the end of the year now so there'll be a new one out at the beginning of the next year um but it's got you know stats about how much money we've made for them in terms of wages uh, and charitable donations it's got um been a little while now since i've read it actually i mean i see it every day because we've got it printed as a, as a like, poster on my wall at work um and it's got what new skills they've learned how more confident they feel about certain things uh and just the kind of work that they're doing really the the charities that support the women we work with so yeah it is really nice we send it out with most orders as like a little mini zine kind of thing um just because it's really nice it's, it's you know with, there's a lot of kind of information about our and it's quite hard to 
you know convey it succinctly or the work that we do mm. um because even you know even our posters and packaging is done by adults with learning disabilities i was so, gonna say that's yeah. brilliant so when i placed an order with you recently your packaging is fantastic it's oh who's thank it sent you by? so what's much it, you can tell it's something special i think that my postman was thinking oh what's she got here this oh, looks good thank you so much i'm so glad um, we worked really hard on that so i'm really glad it's um, really good Do you want mail to... out yeah yeah, yeah they're, they're brilliant they are another kind of community uh minded charity and they train adults with learning disabilities um in apprenticeships and they've got a loads of different uh, projects so there's a cafe that they train people in there's a gardening center and the one that we work with trains uh, people in apprenticeships for kind of packaging and warehousing it's joseph who was taking care of all that orders for this year but he gets so excited when we had a big another flurry and his confidence just really grew like he was quite a shy shy guy when we first met him but He's since become independent and moved out and he's living on his own and he's got this qualification now. And it's it's really lovely because a trip to the warehouse would be quite like an everyday, quite boring thing. But yeah. obviously when you work with people that you're really invested in and you can kind of see them, seeing them grow and their excitement, at, you know, the more orders <laughs> you're it, getting as we grow, it's really nice. And it's also minimal packaging as well, isn't it? So it's a small, I mean, mm. I ordered a dress, but it was mm-hmm. in the, the minimal amount of small cardboard. I presume it's all recycled yeah. paper, recycled card. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah. a plastic packaging. Yeah, exactly. There was just, yeah. just as much as yeah. you needed to protect that product in in the in the post. Absolutely. So do they work with lots of fashion yeah. brands at Mail Out? Um, so we've introduced them to quite a lot of people, which is really nice because they, mm. um, yeah, they were looking, for people to kind of stock with them so we've it's really nice we've introduced them to um some like publishers and another sustainable like um handbag brand and a social enterprise beer brand i think they're working with karma cola and Aesop as well oh yeah which is lovely yeah. um but yeah social enterprise that we know kind of introduced us and then it's this really lovely like everyone tells everyone about them yeah so I think exactly <laughs> I bet they are. Yeah. yeah, there needs to be more people like that, um, more yeah. big warehouses like that, yeah. rather than big kind of faceless places yeah. where people look yeah. really depressed. Exactly, because we've all heard about you know different warehouses in the UK not mm. treating the workers right, and mm-hmm. I think growing up as well, my mum always, my mum was a teacher for adults with learning disabilities, and it was, you know, she always kind of drummed into this you know idea that everyone's got potential, and you know, there's like jobs that people really want to do and are really like grateful for if you just give them the chance so I think yeah when we discovered them it was just perfect really it was at the perfect time and we'd always wanted to work with with a charity supporting people with disabilities so yeah um, yeah we love them they're great so you're currently running a crowdfunding campaign aren't you we are we are indeed so is that the first one you've done or did you you didn't do one originally because a lot of people use a crowdfunding campaign to mm-hmm. launch a business don't they, they this do. is your first so we, campaign is that right we've done we did one three years ago actually but it was um it was a little bit different it was an equity crowdfunder so right. we sold off a bit of our company in order to basically in order to launch our own brand because we've mm-hmm. been like a marketplace up until that point. So we did do a crowdfunder to launch um, the Birdsong brand and that went really, really well. Um, I think we raised like £86,000 in you? Um, four weeks. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we went, I think, yeah, we aimed for 75 and then we got 86 
worked, which was incredible. And which platform um, did you do that on? It was on Crowdcube, so it was a little bit right, different. Yep. Yeah, so it's like an entity. Yeah, how, exactly, exactly. How many shareholders does that mean you have and what percentage of Ooh. the business was that for? So we've that, got about <laughs> 300 investors, I think, which yeah. is kind of amazing because yeah. it, it's really lovely. Like some of our models are investors, some of our um, knitters are investors because you could invest from as little as £10. So yeah. all of our it was really lovely that we had our community kind of invest in and only a really small proportion of them are class a shareholders who put like kind of bigger chunks in um but we still own you know i think at least 75 percent of the company between you know the co-founding team so yeah um we've had a little bit of social investment but not a huge amount we're still very independent um but yeah there was no yeah no grants available for anything you were doing when you first launched um we've done we've had a few grants here and there i think like our reasoning was that I mean we mainly survive on revenue to be honest. Like we, yeah. we obviously we it's need the a best little way bit to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like relying on, yeah. on on filling in forms and getting a grant because things can change, can't they? Absolutely. So and I think because we work with so many men's organisations who've been so vulnerable to funding cuts, we kind yep. of saw ourselves as mm. wanting to be more sustainable financially and have our own kind of income stream that we can rely on year in year out without having to because we we do get a grants here and then but they're often about four months late coming into your bank account so it's really hard mm. to like plan the cash flow for them so yeah, exactly um, especially be, when you've got to buy yeah. into stock or pay exactly exactly like but yeah i think we you know a grant's really lovely to have like a bit of a growth project or something but we don't want it to be our our main source mm. of income ever you know it's, it's a nice extra but um yeah so you did the Crowdcube equity funding mm. three years ago. Mm-hmm. So your current round of um, crowdfunding is more of a um, buying products, isn't it, to invest in your company? Yeah. Do you want to explain the difference to people that might not understand what the difference is, might even know not know what a crowdfunding campaign is? Yeah, sure. So I think um, when we started the company, we were like 23, 24, and we were kind of had a little bit of investment from the government. But in terms of like talking to angels or VCs or, you know, basically the people with with all the money who um, Mm. invest in companies, it was really intimidating as two kind of young women who were completely, you know, new to the industry. This is our first company we'd ever ran. And it was really, really hard work. And we found as you know, we dive deeper into it and there's really depressing statistics about how all capital is of, of all capital investing companies, only about twenty percent is invested in women, all yeah, this I've kind heard of thing. That too. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, really hard. So we kind of thought, well, you know, we've got such an engaged, loyal fan base. Why don't we grow the company using them basically and um mm. allow everyone to own a bit of the company because it just felt a bit more democratic and a bit more like us. Um and it went really, really surprisingly well, which was fantastic. And we we sold like quite a small percentage of our company um, to our customers effectively in our community and our network and some social investors who care more about social impact than profit return, Yeah, which is lovely. Because yeah. um, then we know that, that if we do, you know, make a return, if they do make a return on it, it's going into other social ventures, which is brilliant because that's what we're all about. Um, yeah. So we did that, yeah, three years ago. And then this... Crowdfunder is more of a pre-order system for our new collection. 
because we wanted to expand the size range, it was basically just a really good way for us to see what sizes were going to be the most popular, see what styles were going to be the most popular and minimize yeah, waste exactly. completely. So, yeah. 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 I say that to people all the time. If you're launching a new brand or you want to mm, test out new styles, mm. it really is one of the best ways to do it because you're pre-marketing your products. You know what's going to sell. And you've got pre-orders before you have to put the orders in with the factory. So people will mm-hmm, say, oh, I can't mm-hmm. find a factory that will only make me a few pieces and I don't want to take the risk of buying 50 or 100 pieces. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you do a crowdfunding campaign and you're good at marketing it, then mm. you can pre-sell 50, 100 or even more pieces of the right. You Absolutely. can see then what works, what doesn't. So from your campaign, what has mm. how long has it been running? Has it finished now or can people still so, um, invest in it? It's been going for a month for and we just had the news, amazingly, an hour ago that they're going to let us extend yeah. it. So Brilliant. luckily you can, um, in, you can pre-order the, and it's all beautiful. What I didn't mention as well is that it's tent cell fabric. So part of the reason we're doing it is because we've breached, like branched out into a new eco fabric as well. That's a little bit more mm. dear than what we were using before. Um, but it's really gorgeous and soft and, and beautiful on your skin and antimicrobial and low carbon impact and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a really good fabric and you can uh, donate or pre-order up until, ooh, my maths isn't very good, another three weeks from October Where are we 10th. today? So, yeah, so the end of October. Yeah, exactly, you exactly. Yeah. You'll be able to, okay. yeah, you'll be able to pre-order up until the end of October, absolutely. And, um, yeah, no, we've got some really nice uh, rewards on there as well. We've got some of our best-selling stock at special prices as well, so... Definitely so that means people can buy a, one of your new styles at a mm. reduced rate, so, so a lower price than it would be when it properly launches. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. We're doing everything on a really good discount because you're getting the uh, benefit of, of pre-ordering. So we're doing the dresses for 125 instead of 160 and we've got an amazing knitwear collaboration by our knitters, um, and Katie Jones is this fantastic knitwear yeah, yeah. designer. Yeah. And um, it's recycled yarn from Wool and the Gang. So it's kind of a bird song times Katie Jones times Wool and the Gang. Um, three amazing British companies. And mm-hmm. yeah, you can get the cardigans for a lot cheaper on there as well. And we've got little market bags um, and knitted hats and scarves as well, which are perfect Christmas presents. So you Good can timing. get them a little bit perfect. cheaper. So well, of all of the products you've got on the crowdfunder campaign has it surprised you as to what's done best you've got um plain Mm. black dresses haven't you and printed has it sold Mm -hmm. how you would have bought it had you had to pre-order it yourself without a customer buying into the crowdfunder that's a really good question i think we weren't sure actually it, it has actually gone how we predicted but the stripey dresses we were like well we think they're amazing that's Either the they're going to do really, really well. Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. I wore one last night. It's amazing. <laughs> we were like, we think it's amazing. We would buy loads of these, but let's just yeah. see what people think. And and that is by far the most popular one, which is great. Is it? Um, you mean the blacks? Not the, far the, behind, the orangey black but... and white stripe I bought. Yeah, the one you took. So if yeah. I wear it to my event next March, I might uh-huh. someone else might be wearing it if it's been that popular. <gasps> well, it's still pretty. It's still pretty limited edition. It's still pretty. Small. It's a really striking so... print. Who designs the prints for you? So we do it all in house. I say it's um, yes, Susanna, our design co-founder, does it all in house. Um, she does all our prints bespoke, which is 
amazing. Um, she works super hard. And um, yeah, she based this print actually on a reclaimed uh, fabric print that we made our first collections pair of clots out of. And then she digitized that and turned it into this as kind of a nod to how far we've come and different collections and circularity, which is really nice. So um, brilliant. Yeah. So when people want to find Birdsong after they listen to this podcast, where's the best place to find you and how can they find you? So we're on social media at Birdsong London everywhere or at www.birdsong.london or crowdfunder.co.uk slash birdsong. But there'll be links to all of them on our website as well. So if you go Brilliant. to one, you'll put... find the rest. <laughs> Great. And I'll put links to all of them in the podcast show notes as well. Brilliant. Thank you so Sophie, much. Oh, that's pleasure. brilliant. It's been really fun talking to you, Sophie. Thank you. And I'm you looking too. forward to my dress arriving. So if the campaign's been extended, Thank you so much. When's, when's production happening? When can I expect my dress to arrive? It's happened now. So Susie's picking them up tomorrow. So oh. they're all, all the first batch have been made and they'll be sent Excellent. out on Monday first thing. So you should be able to get yours. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it should be with you by Wednesday which is very exciting. exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, our, our makers are so speedy. Obviously, they're just down the road in, in Tower Hamlets. The advantages so, um, of making yeah. in London, making locally. Exactly. exactly. That's what this podcast exactly. is all about. Yep. And the warehouse is only, you know, two miles away from there. So just hop on the tube with them or hop in a courier and then it's there. Yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you, Sophie. Have Thank a lovely you. evening. Thanks so much for your support. You too. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me a, just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.